Well, welcome everybody. We're speaking again today to uh, Nathan in South Asia, and we've been following through a, a series that's covered uh, our vision for church planting movements and then uh, the five parts of a CPM plan. Today we're going to be looking at the topic of how we make disciples. So welcome to you, Nathan. Hi, Steve. Uh, Nathan, just give us an idea. Where, where does uh, making disciples fit in, in, in those sort of f- five parts of a church planting movements plan? Well, we're right in the center. You know, we, uh, everything that we're talking about in these five parts flows to and from disciple-making. Uh, so we, uh, we talk about entry strategy initially. How do we enter a field? Uh, you're not going to mobilize people into new fields without discipleship. We talk about gospel presentation. Uh, clearly, people need to be trained and discipled toward a habit of uh, boldness and, uh, and priesthood. And then comes, with new believers, comes discipleship, and that's our topic today. Ultimately, your discipleship is your key to, church, to healthy church that comes next in our series. And uh, finally, from your church to multiply leaders, you're not going to accomplish that without uh, a healthy uh, view and, and uh, focus on, on what is a healthy disciple. So we're right in the center of our five parts, uh, discipleship, and long-term and initially short-term discipleship. Okay, so it's it's the center, and in, in a sense, the, the the whole leverage point for uh, what comes either side, what we're leading up to, and uh, what then leads us forward into church formation and multiplication. So, uh, give us some of the, the the keys to getting this right. You know, our plan uh, for making disciples. Um, what does a good plan and and good implementation look like? Well, I, I think uh, initially one of the challenges we face as we mobilize people uh, into church planning, kingdom growth, urgency, we typically um, connect to the gospel. Uh, we must be ready to share. We must always be prepared, right? First Peter 3, to give up and hope to send us. Uh, when people are ready, we must call them to response immediately. You know, that urgency in our mind is connected to gospel presentation. But I want to suggest that there is, the urgency is no less uh, real, uh, no less a reality uh, for discipleship than it is for gospel. Your discipleship needs to carry an edge of urgency on it. And what I mean by that is, uh, we shared it last time Hmm. as we were discussing the Samaritan woman, uh, Jesus mobilizing her. There, what, it, what a believer does, I've become convinced, what a believer does and forms as habits in their first month of faith is going to shape, uh, uh, how to say, their walk with Christ for years to come. Mm. So in that sense, that, that'll frame that urgency for us. A new believer comes to faith, expresses a change of, of lifestyle, a change of the heart, uh, through the new birth that the Spirit, only the Spirit can give, those few days, those couple uh, to three weeks uh, immediately following that, that fresh change when the Holy Spirit's investing Himself for the first time, there are going to be habits formed. Hmm. And immediately mobilizing that new believer into obedience, into the full fullness of responsibility in obeying and walking with Christ 
as quickly as possible uh, is is urgent, and uh, we need to look at it that way. Which means our short-term discipleship needs to have uh, been evaluated, been again been simplified. As that's kind of a theme over our our five parts discussions and podcasts. Everything should be simple, and honestly, it needs to be. Uh, tweaked and morphed and changed and shaved down to the simple uh, core that we will focus every bit of our attention on mobilizing them to obedience as quickly as possible. Okay. Well, I'm just thinking traditionally, I guess, a a lot of uh, our thinking on discipleship has focused in those early days, has focused on, look, there's some some knowledge they must attain. There's some, some basics they must learn. Uh, so, and, and, and typically, um, you know, there's a, the emphasis is on the person following them up and uh, the new believer is a, is a recipient of, of knowledge, uh, correct doctrine. Um, yeah. So how does this approach differ from that? Well, I, I just want to, uh, to challenge us to go back to Scripture for a moment. I, I uh, understand and I agree you will not have discipleship without some form of content, without them hearing and understanding who Jesus is, what Jesus expects of them, you know, their new identity in Christ, uh, how to have relationship through communication with, with God, through the Holy Spirit, through the sacrifice of Christ. All that knowledge is necessary, essential. I think that over time... Um, we lose track of the one-to-one correspondence between knowledge and obedience that Christ expects. How will you know my disciples? You'll know them by their fruit, by their activity, right? Mm. Uh, We see that theme in the book of James, for example. Uh, Don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer also, you know. And that goal, sometimes the, the fact is in the upbringing I've, uh, I came up under in the U.S., the, some of the church involvement I had there, it's, it's possible. And we need to be on our guard against losing that focus, that vision, that following Christ is an action-oriented task. Our goal is the one-to-one correspondence, that for everything they know, there is something they put their hand to, that there's some action of obedience, and so uh, in your short, short-term discipleship, your initial training of that new believer, there needs to be the pursuit that everything they have heard, they have also done. That's James' message, right, to us in the book of James. Don't just be a hearer of the word; be a doer also. And you really can establish that habit from day one. It is possible to expect. Uh, total responsibility from the beginning of their new identity. And I would suggest that is the best venue for learning, that the, as they, their own identity, the expectations that Christ has for every follower will train them, and it will lead them to the knowledge you're pursuing anyhow. Mm. Uh, if they obey, uh, God provides seed to the sower, correct? So as they obey, He will... Make them rich so that they can be generous on all occasions. And in that sense, uh, the, the store of seed will increase. And, and that includes our knowledge as well. But it, it flows out of obedience. Okay, so right from the beginning, we're looking at uh, two parallel tracks. Uh, you, you really can't divide them, but they are, um, if we had to divide them, there's, there's 
what they're learning about their salvation, about who God is and what he's done for us in Christ, and at the Mm -hmm. same time, right from the beginning, how do I begin uh, to obey these things and their implications in my everyday life? And you don't assume that knowledge of itself produces obedience. Uh, So just as knowledge has to be taught, right from the beginning, obedience has to be taught. Absolutely. And And, and that teaching isn't just more words. It is actually, okay, um, this is an issue for you right now in, in responding in obedience. Let's pray together on this. Let's talk about it. Let's put some energy into how are you going to learn how to obey Jesus in this, yeah. in this key area. Now, you realize what you just done there, Steve. Yep. We've talked about the responsibilities of the new believer. Yeah. But Christ made that habit of obedience in the heart of the new believer the responsibility of the discipler. Matthew 28, go make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Christ placed the responsibility for that new believer's habit of obedience squarely on the Great Commission agent's shoulder, which means you take the Great Commission seriously, the habit of obedience to the Christ commands are your goal in your disciples. And you have not discipled them unless Mm. that habit is seen in play. Mm. And there's got to be an intentionality. And so the big shift here is... We don't disciple just by imparting information. We disciple by uh, teaching someone to obey what they're learning. That's right. That's okay. the, we will not complete the Great Commission without that process. Well, you, you've, I've heard you mention a couple of times there's short-term discipleship, long-term discipleship. Can you unpack those a bit for us? Well, we, uh, we ask folks in our training... Um, if our goal is the habit of obedience, teaching them to obey everything Christ commanded, um, what command should we start with? You know, Christ gave so many commands. Do not worry, you know. Uh, all through the, for example, all through the, the Sermon on the Mount, command after command after command. Uh, I, I still, Steve, am wrestling that with those things and discovering some of those commands at this point in my walk. I've been a believer for many years. So the fact is we will never be done learning the commands of Christ. Uh, and, and that must continue on throughout your life, through your long-term discipleship. The goal of short-term is that habit. And so as we pursue that habit, we found value in developing and committing to a package of short-term discipleship that basically prioritizes those commands that lead to the habit of, can develop the habit of obedience in the heart of the new believer. Uh, you know, the scripture talks about that as milk. Mm. You know, uh, Hebrews, he's actually, it's in the, in the context of a rebuke. I cannot go on to meet with you because you have not yet understood these milk items, right? Mm. And so he, uh, uh, he rebukes them saying the habit isn't in place. That distinction is how we understand milk and meat. That, that uh, habit of obedience is the goal of the short-term discipleship and for that reason uh, we're committed personally to a package of short-term that every believer every new believer in the networks we coach 
uh, we encourage that every new believer would get that training. Okay. So what, what's in that package? Yeah. You know, there's several good packages out there. Yeah. Uh, we use uh, and build off of something George Patterson gave to the Great Commission community called the Seven Demands of Christ. And we've morphed that and, and maybe contextualized it a little bit. But it's just Acts chapter 2. Uh, what are, as, G, as we hear commands from Jesus' mouth in the Gospels, what are the commands we see at work in the first church in Acts chapter 2? And you go down through there and list, what did the church do? And you're going to find that George Patterson's list of seven commands that they were immediately putting into practice. Uh, we don't need to unpack that per se right now. There's other great packages out there. A brother uh, named Tom Wolfe uh, once uh, wrote one called Universal Disciple. That's also very strong. And uh, it actually suggests that that pattern uh, is something that Paul used with his disciples as well, that Paul, in fact, had committed to a package of initial discipleship. Uh, you see it in First Timothy, excuse me, Second Timothy, chapter 1. I believe it's verse 13 or so. He says uh, to Timothy, hey, Timothy, keep the things you've heard from me as the pattern sound teaching. Uh, that word pattern right there is seen in other places in Scripture, but... Uh, you know, in Greek, it's hypertyposis. He as the super type, the things you've heard me say. And that Paul, the idea that Paul actually could say and, and, and remind his disciples, we have a script to follow initially. We have a super type. And people, you know, it's not just built on that one verse. First Corinthians 4, he's sending Timothy to the Corinthians and reminds the Corinthians, I'm sending to you Timothy. He will remind you of what I teach everywhere in every church. We, I, I wish we had that initial super type. You know, I wish we could see exactly. I think we've got the reflection of it in Paul's letters. Yeah. Uh, and so we all we need. But the value that, that in fact, if in fact Paul had a package that he could refer to and, and that his disciples, such as Timothy, they knew this is valuable to every church at all times, everywhere. Paul had clearly thought it out with his disciples, received it from the Lord, of course, as inspired, but thought it out and handed that to his disciples with expectation. Everywhere you go, this is what's expected. Okay, and, and just from my memory of um, uh, George Patterson's Seven Commands, it's... Uh, Essential basics, like what does it mean to repent and believe, uh, to be baptized, uh, to be generous, to love one another, um, uh, to be sharing the gospel with others. Uh, These are just just some of the the really essential first things that, uh, um, that George has identified in the teachings of Jesus. Yeah, so, George, you're going to get the command, and, and you're going to get an example of someone obeying that command in a lesson, and then you're going to get the call or the commissioning to obey that command yourself and ultimately plan that. How, with whom are you going to obey? How are you going to obey? What resources are you going to use to obey? And, and remember, that short-term package, discipleship package, rolls out in a T-for-T format. And by that, we simply mean there's planning and commissioning before we send them out so that when they come back together, we can have pastoral care, accountability, a new teaching and practice that new teaching and then plan and commission again. And so that process of discipleship that we call T for T, um, you have a script for T for T with the seven commands to get people started. 
and it rolls out from there. Yes, and I, I can post links to George's Seven Commands and the basics of T for T. But what you're saying, with which, whichever package we choose, it needs to be, you know, some of the basics. Well, the basics that we see uh, in the in, in the teaching and practice of Jesus, early church, and Paul. We would be tempted to have a hundred things in that package, but we yeah. should choose, um, you know, some some things that get people started in a pattern of obedience. Um, yes, that. If they're, if they're in that habit of learning how, not just information but how to obey, there will be future learnings down the track. They'll get to the hundred eventually. <laughs> That's but, right. It's but, your Chinese proverb, teach them to fish, right, as opposed yeah. to provide them a meal. That's right. Okay. So, so then short-term, evangel- sorry, short-term discipleship is about teaching them to fish. Long-term discipleship I'm, I'm guessing is about uh, on that basis then that they can go and fish for the rest of their lives they can go and continue to learn and to obey throughout the whole course of their life without a dependence on the person who led them to Christ is, that's is exactly that, right is, well tell us a bit about the the longer term discipleship how do you prepare someone for the the rest of their journey and for a lifetime of, uh, you know, delving into the scriptures and learning to obey Jesus. Here, you're, this, is, this is excellent conversation. We're, this is our transition. Yeah, I mentioned the habit of obedience as the goal of your short term. Mm-hmm. There, is a second, there is a second goal in short-term discipleship, and that is fusing or marrying, if you will, their mind to the word. Mm-hmm you do in your short-term discipleship must be seen as the, the, the source of that, those lessons, that content must be seen as the Word of God. Hmm. And for that reason, we personally, we have committed to a, uh, that ultimately it is our hermeneutic, it is the way we interpret Scripture, all the way to preparing lessons for pastors eventually. Hmm. But we have come to a very simple, participative Bible study set of questions, and, and we just asked four questions, even in the, in the Zacchaeus story for repentance, which is the first lesson of seven commands. And we just asked, what do we learn about God, about man? Is there an example or command to follow, and is there a sin to avoid? So we've got two questions that are basically doctrinal, hmm. uh, worldview-related, God and man, right? And we've got two that are obedience-oriented. Is there a sin to avoid, and is there an example or command to follow? Hmm. Now, that, that is uh, the very first teaching we give. Even it, it even predates the seven commands. Because as we go through those seven commands, we're asking them, hear from God's Word, interpret God's Word from the very first day of their faith. Hmm. What do we learn about God and man? Is there a sin to avoid, an example and command to obey? And that responsibility is on them to hear from God, to hear from His Word, from the very beginning. Now, sometimes uh, uh, it's like pulling teeth, honestly. Uh, we, we live in a context where most of education system is by rote memory. And so that idea of inductive Bible study to be able to pull truths out of Scripture, sometimes it's like pulling teeth. But this is a battle we must fight. This is the hill we must die on to, for people to be connected directly to the Holy Spirit's voice through the Word. That's your foundation. 
And so the ha- and and that habit of obedience flows out from that. So there's your two goals in short-term discipleship: habit of obedience and their mind meld- welded to the Word of God. You know, from that base, you've got long-term discipleship that can be as simple as a reading list. Uh, read these passages in your personal time with your family, even in your church setting. Here's four questions that'll, that have gotten you started. We can develop that a little bit, looking at the main per- point of a text or look, understanding the context to get a little broader view of, of interpretation. But your base is in place from day one. The Word of God is your teacher because the Holy Spirit speaks, corrects, rebukes you through the Word. Uh, that's a lifetime of learning. Okay. I, I, I like that That it's um, it's the Holy Spirit speaking through the Word, but it's not just a, a, a passage jumping out randomly. And it, it is looking at what is this passage saying, how uh, in the context of a, of a, of a small group, um, how can I begin obeying this teaching and in the short-term discipleship you're teaching them that pattern giving them some foundations but then as they move into long-term discipleship it might be well let's how about you work through the gospel of mark or some of the epistles or the book of genesis um or here are you know five passages on the work of the holy spirit um but they've got a tool then and a, and a way of life that is applying the scriptures to their life, the whole rest of their lives. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everything we do is, is motivated by mobilization, right? So hand, putting the tools in their tool belt to help them. And then, then it's as easy, once those habits are in place and the expectation, this is what a believer does. They wrestle with the word. When you've got that blank slate of a new believer uh, and you imprint that DNA upon them, then it's, it's true. Your T for T is going to continue. You're going to continue to relate to them as a disciple. But there are times when all you have to do is say, uh, tell me what you think about Titus chapter 1. Mm. And they, they open the word. They immediately go into, I'm looking for things about God and man. I'm looking for sins that I need to confess and repent of. I'm looking for examples and commands I need to follow and apply. Their, their, their personal walk is informed. Their family is informed by the truths they will discover. And their church is guided by those same truths into obedience. Uh, you've mobilized them. There are times when we talk about dependence, right, in church planning or in kingdom growth, and we talk, we're thinking about finance, or we're thinking about methods, or we're thinking about uh, local indigenous resources. This is one of the areas where dependence uh, needs to be evaluated perhaps more than any other in our planning. Our disciples, now this sounds strange, our disciples, what I'm suggesting, are not dependent on us for the content that will that will guide their walk. What I'm suggesting to you is that we, our task, like John the Baptist, when he pointed at Jesus, uh, we must become later, less, he must become greater. Our, our job is that their dependence would rest on the Word of God and the Spirit of God's voice through that Word. Those are our two tracks of authority. And our job is to establish dependence on the Word. And there are times when we fail. 
there are times when we settle or it, in, in, and in the worst case scenario, when our even our giftings become a bit of an idol for us because we uh, we enjoy people depending on us to give them the truth. I'll tell you this, Steve. Let me let me give you a personal testimony for a minute. Uh, at, a, at a young age, maybe my early twenties, I took a, a pastorate at a church uh, in the U.S. and I, I believe with all my heart in the calling to preach. That, that's my first calling. Second mm. Timothy 4, preach the word in season and out of season. By no means am I attacking that calling. But I will tell you that as I pursued that calling in my own life, I began I preaching on, a, on just in a very traditional setting, weekly, Wednesday nights, Sunday nights. We were, I was giving messages every week, at least three times, and then home visits, whatever. Uh, every Sunday after I would finish... You know, the very Baptist thing to do, people, as they, as they left the church building, they would shake my hand, say, great sermon, preacher, you know, good job, nice, that illustration, that wisdom, good job. One Sunday, Steve, uh, the Lord broke my heart, and he showed me that over time I had drifted off into my own definition of success related to discipleship. And it was about, it was a bit of idolatry in my own heart concerning my gifting. Three in a row, three people in a row came up to me, Steve, on that Sunday, shook my hand. The first one said, uh, Nathan, that, that sermon was incredible. I could never preach like you preach. Uh, and, you know, my response, thank you very much. You know, uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. God bless. Have a good week. The second person came. I could never do what you do. Mm. And I, something just wasn't right. A bit of a check in my spirit. And I remember it like it was yesterday. A third person came up to me, shook my hand, and said, that illustration, I could never do that mm. the way you do. And at that moment, my heart broke because I realized this is the definition of failure in discipleship. Because three of my disciples in a row came up to me and said, there's no way I could reproduce what you're feeding us. Mm. And, I, and they, they're so convinced that they're not even going to try. That is failure in ministry. And when the, as the Lord broke my heart in that, because it's not, you remember all the way back to our Envision podcast, it's not about our calendar, our gifting, our ability. We will not complete the Great Commission personally. This is the body of Christ marching forward to the end together. And, and, and there are lessons about death to self Dying to self, taking up our cross, that w- that that will guide us throughout our walk. We're not done dying to self, Steve. And there's times when we need to die to our own gifting because if we are going to mobilize and mentor and push our disciples to do greater things than we've done, their gifting has to be seen as the plan, and their multiplication through them is not possible without that. From that day, my pursuit has been simplify everything. Mm. Teach in such a way, lower the bar to the lowest common denominator so that every believer says, I could do that. I could go out and disciple. I can discover truth in Scripture myself. I can hear the Holy Spirit's voice. And when they've said that with confidence, informed by the Word of God, the Spirit of God, their discipleship process will continue even without me. Yeah, I ultimately can release. and. Mm. Uh, and keep moving. And and my apostolic calling at this point demands that. Marry them to the word, habit of obedience, 
long-term discipleship is a, can be as simple as encouraging them to keep moving in, script, in Scripture. Okay. Nathan, do you think there are still times, though, because obviously we see this in, in the New Testament, where a teacher or a leader or just just an ordinary disciple has got to look a, a brother in the eye and say, look, I, I understand that's how you're interpreting Scripture, but what you're doing is not right. Um, because sure. and, people will, will go down intentionally or unintentionally some, some, some crazy tracks. Absolutely. So Steve, there's, what's there's still a time to do that, to bring correction. But there what is. you're saying is the default model is how do we teach disciples to dig deep in the scriptures and to learn how to obey for them you know for themselves without dependency on on you as the preacher and steve i want to suggest to you i'm not going to let you get away with that comment for just a second okay okay because if if that is the scenario and it's there in every church you know paul warns Mm. against false teaching in every one of his letters Mm. if it's going to come in the church and we want to inoculate or protect our believers against that false teaching that's inevitable, it will come, which, which scenario do we prefer? One person who interprets the Word of God for the whole congregation mm. or every believer mm. searching the Word like the Bereans who are of noble character to see if what's being taught is of, of okay. the God. Mm. And you will not get that level of protection when it, with a one on a hundred ratio, meaning one person interpreting for a hundred people. That's where you're susceptible to false teaching. Okay. If you're putting the word mm. and the Holy Spirit's voice as the goal in every believer, then those checks are all over your congregation. And so, that process so that makes, makes the church a, the that makes the church then a self correcting body where a responsible body. They're yeah. going to look and mm-hmm. be correct because they all have the responsibility to interpret and hear the word and the, through the word the Holy Spirit's voice. Mm. And uh, there is a there is an elder or overseer role. Mm. Titus chapter one, someone needs to ultimately take the responsibility that if no one else is, it is my duty to stand yeah. up and correct when false teaching comes. Mm. Not denying that, mm. but the way to insulate your your believers is not to somehow protect the word the, the word of god needs to be unleashed yes. the word of god needs to be uh, the uh, basic expectation of mm. every believer and that mm. protection you're looking for is built in and it's cross-checked and cross-pollinated because every believer works functions together as the body of christ yeah. with a similar responsibility okay well let's 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 just recap then uh we're talking about discipleship as one lesson at a time leading to uh, lovingly, loving obedience to Jesus. And uh, short-term discipleship covering the basics, but mm-hmm. giving people the skills uh, to dig deep into the scriptures uh, throughout the whole course of their life. And long-term discipleship is about applying that, being... being uh, that, a, that an individual or a body of believers are, are consistently and habitually in the scriptures uh, learning to learning and obeying. That's, that's, and Sorry. to pull that off, Nathan, you're saying um, these foundational things have to be simple, 
uh, scripturally based, obedience orientated, and easily transferable from person to person. Correct. That's right. Our job, our task in every one of these five parts is mobilization of the local, the local uh, fruit as the plan, all the way back to, in, to entry strategy. We're praying for laborers, and the laborers are coming up from within the harvest. So that's why we're simplifying. That's why we're passing authority. That's why we're releasing expectation, right? Uh, unleashing the word on those new laborers. Uh, we don't have a better tool. Yes. Unleash the God. So this method of discipling is not only good for them and for the church that's forming, it's, it's also giving them the basic skills uh, to enable them to go and disciple others. It doesn't have to come back to the church planter or the pastor. These new believers uh, with the scriptures and with a growing pattern of obedience can begin sitting down with others in their world, sharing the gospel and making disciples. That's right. You know, uh, the, the end result, you're asking about the end result of this process. Habit of obedience and a, an ear open to the word of God and the Holy Spirit's voice. What's the Holy Spirit going to say to him, Steve? Mm. He's going to say, go obey. He's going to say, uh, take this gospel of the kingdom to the end. And so uh, multiplication is built in to the word. Multiplication is the voice the Holy Spirit speaks to us, advance. Mm. And so you've got, to, uh, you've got to trust that. You've got to learn and grow as a disciple maker. That the Spirit of God, whether it's evangelism or discipleship, the Spirit of God must be trusted to complete the task that we can only bring halfway. Mm. His voice is essential, and He speaks through His Word. And, and what's being multiplied is not just decisions for Christ, but disciples for Christ. Amen. That's the goal. Well, Nathan, I've learned a few things. It's been very helpful, and I'm sure it's been helpful for our listeners. I think uh, next time we'll, uh, we'll talk about church formation and uh, looking forward to hearing how we move from uh, uh, making disciples into gathering them into communities of disciples and forming churches. So thank you for your time and uh, look forward to talking next time.